John chapter 10. Trav did an awesome job last week uh, covering the first, I believe, 10 verses. Um, well, we're going to do something a little bit special the next two weeks. Um, this is one of the most beautiful descriptions Jesus gives of himself in all of the Bible. And so we're going to really chew on it together. We're going to take our time on what does it mean for Jesus to be our good shepherd. So this is really the good shepherd part one. Next week will be the good shepherd part two. And we're going to see just qualities of Jesus as our good shepherd. I hope we'll cover, I don't know, about six this morning. So um, we're going to, we're going to start at verse one, John 10 verse one, and we're going to read through verse 16. And that's where we're getting all of our content. And we're specifically focusing on what does it mean for Jesus to be our good shepherd. So let's read that text again together. John 10 verse one through 16. Let's just hear the words of our savior, Jesus together. John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and his sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come, who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus, we thank you for your word again today. I thank you that we do not have to come listen to man's wisdom or man's opinions or the opinions of the experts of, or all the accumulation of the, the wisdom that people have gathered. Today, we're here to hear from one person. We're here to hear from you, Jesus, our good shepherd. We've come to open up 
one book, your, your word, the Bible. We've, we've come to ask the spirit of God to help us, give us ears to hear what Jesus says to his sheep. I thank you, Lord, for these that have gathered to hear the voice of their shepherd. And I thank you, Lord, if there's anyone here who has yet to personally hear you call them by name, would today they hear that? Would they hear your voice calling them to yourself as the good shepherd? Jesus, we have so many needs today. And Lord, we could come looking for tips um, and, and, and helps but, but what, we are, what we are doing right now, Jesus, is we are coming to the one who is able to care for us in our needs. We have come not as sheep to solve our own problems. But we have come to our shepherd saying, we need you. We need help, Jesus. Show us where to go. Show us what is true. Speak to us. Care for us. And so I just thank you, Lord, that right now we get to do the best thing we'll do all week long. And that's just look at you together. We love you, Jesus. You are our shepherd. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it has been just over a year uh, as a church that we've been in the gospel of John together. Um, the elders, when, when, when we were praying over what is, what should we do next? What should we teach next? Um, we knew we were going through a significant leadership change and we thought what better to just gather week in, week out and sit at the feet of Jesus. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what 2020 will bring. We don't know what kind of year it will be, but we can know that it's a good call to gather around Jesus. Little did we know <laughs> 2020 was coming, what 2020 would be, what COVID would be, that we would be outside with no sound system in a parking lot. Of course, we, we can't know that. And let me just say, we don't know what 2021 is going to bring. But here's what we do know. We have a good shepherd. We have a place that we can turn wherever we are, whatever we are going through. And so this week, uh, we have come in John 10 to one of the most beloved passages, one of the most beautiful, glorifying images of Jesus in all of the Bible. Jesus as our shepherd. And the, we really have two goals this morning, two goals. Number one, we just want to look at Jesus together. And secondly, we're going to look at what, what does Jesus expect from his shepherds? We have all, you are all shepherds to some extent. Some of you are parents. We are all called to make disciples. Some of you are leading Bible studies. Some of you just have influence with a couple of friends. What, what does Jesus expect of you as an under shepherd? Those are our goals this morning. What is Jesus like as our shepherd and what does he expect of me? Now, the Bible has a couple of titles for Jesus. Uh, I took a small sampling of what is the Bible call Jesus, the son of God, the second member of the Trinity. I'm gonna read a couple for us. Hope you're ready for this list. Jesus is referred to as the Amen. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the branch. He is the cornerstone. He's the firstborn of the dead. He is your great high priest. He's the guardian of our souls. He's the head of the church. He is the I am. He is Emmanuel. He is King of Kings. 
and Lord of Lords. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lord of glory. He's the Messiah. He's the morning star. He's the Passover lamb. He's the prince of peace. He's your rock. He is the root and descendant of David. He's the savior. He's the suffering servant. He's the son of David. He's the son of man. He's the son of God. And he is the word. These are a small sampling of who God has revealed his son to be. And then if you remember, there are these seven great I am statements in the gospel of John. You may remember that. These seven times where Jesus refers to himself first as the I am, and he uses an expression that evokes Exodus 3, I am that I am. And then he attaches a description of himself. There's seven of these in John. And there's three before John 10, and there's three after John 10. There's, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. He's gonna go on to say, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And if you, were, if you were to picture these seven statements, there's three before and there's three after. And then there's this one right in the middle. This one that, that really is like the mountaintop. The one that has maybe more rich biblical imagery from Genesis to Revelation than all the others. It is this one that we come to today. I am the good shepherd. Jesus as a shepherd may speak to more characteristics of who he is than any other expression. Shepherd is used throughout the Bible as a, as a metaphor for leadership. Uh, kings are often referred to as shepherds. We see in the Bible, some of the best leaders were shepherds. That was their training ground of what it is to lead the people of God. If you remember the first shepherd in the Bible, and here's a little Bible quiz. Who's the first shepherd in the Bible? It's Abel, Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. He was a shepherd. And he gave a good sacrifice, the best that he could to God. And we also see Abel as a shepherd who, who laid down his life. He lost his life because he was a good shepherd. You know, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all shepherds. Jacob, one time when he was mad at his father-in-law in, in some kind of argument, he tells Laban, hey, I was such a good shepherd for 14 years. I shepherded your flock. I was with them in the cold of the night. I was with them in the heat of the day. When a wild animal came, I risked my life to fight them off. We see this picture of a hardworking shepherd. If you remember Joseph, who eventually went on to be the second in command in all of Egypt, the greatest superpower at that time. What was his early training growing up through life? Well, he was a shepherd. You guys may remember a man named Moses, maybe the, if not one of the great leaders in the Old Testament. For 40 years, he led sheep. And listen, he needed that training because the next 40 years, he was leading a flock far more difficult than those few sheep in the wilderness. 
We saw Moses' what, what does it look like to lead a flock through tough times out of prosperity, if you will, and into a wilderness. And then we see maybe the most famous shepherd in the Bible, King David. We know as a young man, David, young David, literally with his own two hands and slingshot fought off bears. He fought off lions. We see him fight off Goliath and spend the rest of his life fighting the enemies of the Lord. We see David as this defending shepherd, the shepherd who would fight for the flock of God. There was a time when David sinned and and a plague came in the land and David as a good shepherd said, Lord, punish me. Don't punish these few sheep. We see the heart of a shepherd in David. Jesus is grabbing all of this imagery and applying it to himself. And so again, we're gonna see this morning six qualities of Jesus as our good shepherd from John chapter 10. And then we're gonna also every time apply, what does this mean for me? What should I expect of my shepherds? What is Jesus asking me to be like as an under shepherd? So let's look at the first quality together. And we're gonna recap a few verses Travis covered because we're looking specifically as who is Jesus as our good shepherd. So the first quality we see in John 10 is this, Jesus as the good shepherd, he speaks to his sheep. A good shepherd speaks to his sheep. One of the chief instruments a shepherd uses is his own voice. Look with me again at verses three and four. To him, the gatekeeper opens, hear this, he's referring to the shepherd, the sheep hear his voice. And he what? He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and his sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. Uh, Ancient sheepfolds, you used to actually be communal. At any given village or town, there was a huge communal sheepfold. And so when shepherds would go in for the night, they would often all put their sheep in this giant communal sheepfold and they would hire a gatekeeper and he would often watch those giant group of sheep. And in the morning, the shepherds would come and they would get their sheep. Now, how did they do that? You could picture thousands of sheep. How does he get them all? Well, you, you know this, sheep, They didn't have many skills, but they could do one thing. They could recognize the voice of their shepherd. And so the shepherd would go in and he would begin to call his flock. He would even call some by name and they would recognize the sound of his voice. And this magic trick would happen and all the sheep would begin to come and follow him. And then he would lead them out. This shepherd would have spent so many hours and days and even years with these sheep that they recognized his voice. And I just don't want us to overlook the fact that there is a God in heaven who made everything that there is and he speaks to you. He talks to you. You have a God who wants you to hear his voice. I don't want us to overlook that familiar truth. God, the God of the universe wants to talk to you. 
Um, if you have quick fingers, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. If not, I'm going to read a couple verses out of Hebrews 1. The first two verses of the book of Hebrews. The great question then is, how does God speak to us? Let's look at the author of Hebrews chapter 1. The first two verses, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us, how? By his son, whom he appointed as the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. How does God speak to you? By his shepherd, Jesus, the surest word of God. So much so he calls himself the word. John refers to him as the word. If you want to hear God speak, we look at Jesus. In the beginning of the gospel of John, John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God. But then he says, but Jesus He has made him known. How can you know God? How can you know what God is like if if no one's ever seen God? How can we hear the voice of God? Jesus makes God known. He is spoken by his son. And and then we know that through his apostles and prophets, the spirit gave us the Bible, the word of God. And and thank God that he didn't just speak one time 2000 years ago and bummer, we didn't get to be with Jesus. And now we can't hear from him anymore. And I don't get to hear his voice. Listen, Jesus said it was good that he would leave for he would send his very spirit so that we could recognize the voice of our shepherd, so that we could open this book and, and hear the words, so that we can listen to sermons and be able to discern, is this true or is this not true? Is this the voice of my shepherd or is this not the voice of my shepherd? And so by the Holy Spirit and through the scriptures, we still hear the one God has given us to, to understand who is God and what is he like and what does he say to me? And one more application here for us that that our shepherd speaks to us. To be saved, to be a sheep that belongs to the shepherd, hear me, is to hear the shepherd call you by name. You have to personally have heard him call you. You have to say, do you know what? I feel I hear him calling and and I'm I'm gonna go to him. He's my shepherd. It doesn't matter if you're just in that communal sheep fold and I feel like I'm good around, I'm around a lot of sheep. You have to have been personally called and recognized the voice of Jesus. As he called Lazarus by name out of the grave, he must do to every one of his sheep, spiritually speaking. Have you, let me ask you this question, have you heard Jesus call you by name? And have you gone to him and says, Jesus, you, you are my shepherd. I will follow you. I have heard your voice. I have heard you call me. And then let me just ask, even in a, a day-to-day, do, do you keep, are, are you listening? Are we listening to the voice of our shepherd each day? Or do we just charge out of the sheepfold like, I got this, I know my plans for today, I know where I'm gonna go find green pasture and then I'm gonna go over here and I'll protect myself and then I'll, I'll come into the sheepfold and rest. 
We know how silly it would be for a sheep to do that. And we know how prone we are as sheep to think we're good. We've got this. And so do we every morning as a shepherd would come into the fold and call out his sheep and they would hear his voice? Are we listening to his voice? Are we being still and opening his word and asking him to speak to us? Are we listening to his voice? And then as shepherds, are we, are we teaching those we are, we are longing to shepherd to hear the voice of Jesus? And how do you hear the voice of Jesus? And what does the voice of Jesus sound like? Are we prioritizing the voice of the good shepherd? Do, do we recognize it? Are we following it? And then, and then are we able to help others see this is how you hear the voice of your shepherd? This is what it looks like. This is how you know. So the first quality we see is the shepherd speaks to his sheep. The second quality we see, it's also in these two verses, is he personally, that's a key word, he personally leads his sheep. Again, verse three, the shepherd, uh, the, the shepherd of the sheep to him, the, gateful, the, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name. And what does he do? And leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, how does he lead? He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Jesus speaks and as he speaks, he is leading, he is personally leading his sheep. A good shepherd doesn't hire someone else to do that job. And we're going to see what that looks like. A mere hireling looks like soon. But a good shepherd personally speaks and leads his sheep. A, A good shepherd, a good leader goes before them. He is seen by them. They understand who their leader is. And as Travis reminded us last week, he faces the dangers first. He demonstrates the way. He finds the way in a tricky path. He goes before them and leads them. This is something that is really developed in the Old Testament when it refers to Yahweh as the shepherd. He leads his flock through the wilderness. If you have quick fingers again, Isaiah 40 verse 11 Listen to this text of Yahweh, our shepherd, leading us, leading his people. Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 11 says this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That is God with his tender heart gathering and caring and gently leading his sheep. This is uh, also seen in the familiar Psalm 23 that we read as our call to worship. Verses three, let me read that again for us. We likely have it memorized, but verse three, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, how does God, even in the Old Testament, how did he lead his people? 
Well, we saw that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud, and he, he, he led his people uh, visibly at that time. We also know in one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm, Psalm 119, 105, this is another beloved verse, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How does God lead us? Well, he has given us his word so that we can be led. He also leads us by his spirit, Psalm 143, verse 10. It says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I often am asked, and we often all experience, and I often ask myself, how do I know God's will for my life? Should I go this way or this way when I have a, a key decision? How do, I, how do I follow the leading of, of God? This, is, this book's too general. It doesn't say if I should move to this city or that city. What do I do? How do I discern? How, how does God lead us? Um, one more key text in Psalm 37. This is one that has been ministering to me lately. This is a go-to when we're trying to discern the leading of God. Psalm 37, verse 23. It says, the steps of a man are established, by who? By the Lord, when he delights in his way. The steps of a man, the steps of a woman. How do we know, should I go this way or that way? What's the action step? What's the application? Well, it says, delight in his way. Delight in in the Lord, delight in his word. Be filled with the spirit, be walking, not in sin, not quenching the spirit, but walking with God, delighting in his way. And the Lord will ordain our steps. Now it feels a bit vague and well, what does that look like? But the point here is we are to be near our shepherd. We are to hear his voice. We are to be in his word. We are to be delighting in him. And the point for a sheep, if a sheep is wandering and and he's really nervous about a big decision the sheep's gonna make and are we gonna go to that field or that field and where should I go? What would you tell this sheep? Do you know what? You should just weigh the pros and cons and be really stressed out and ask all the other sheep. No, what's the goal? Look at your shepherd. Be with your shepherd. Spend time with your shepherd. Store his word up in your heart. Listen to him. Be with him. And as, as we spend time focusing on our shepherd, he can establish our steps. And he may do that in any manner of ways through open doors or closed doors or through a, a subjective leading in our heart. This feels right or I don't have peace or maybe it's through wise counsel. It could be any manner of ways, but the key is, are we with our shepherd? Are we looking at our shepherd? Are we spending time with our shepherd? Because he is able to lead his sheep. Even, even though they are just sheep, when the sheep love him, he will lead the flock. And so a a more important question for us than what shall I do in this given decision is are you following Jesus? Are you walking with him? Are, Are you delighting in his way? Are there areas in which you are saying to your shepherd, yeah, I know you say that, but I'm gonna go this way. Let me just say, 
if that is happening, I would not trust yourself to make good decisions. Are you following him? Are you walking in paths of the key word righteousness? Paths of righteousness. A key practical step when we're trying to discern the way to go is, have we confessed our sin? Are we walking in holiness? Are we walking daily? It's trying to understand what his word says in general so that he can lead us specifically. Because we know Jesus as a good shepherd is able to personally lead his sheep. Now, as under shepherds, what do we expect of our shepherds? What does it mean for us as under shepherds? What, what should be our first response when someone comes to us and asks for our advice in a life decision? Do you know what our first responsibility is? It's to make sure they're following Jesus. Our goal as under shepherds is to lead others to Jesus. Who are we? We can't, we can't see all the pros and cons and weigh all the decisions and know every time what to do or how to fix a problem or ask every question. We are sheep, lest we forget. We too are sheep. But we as under shepherds know the shepherd and we can know, hey, go come this way. Are you walking with Jesus over here? Are you neglecting Jesus over there? So our goal is first and foremost to be leading people practically and daily in every way that we can with our influence to Jesus. And so we see, number one, Jesus speaks to his sheep. Number two, he personally leads his sheep. Number three, we see Jesus is the good shepherd. He feeds his sheep. He feeds his sheep. If you will look with me again at John chapter 10, skip down to verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and keyword and find pasture and find pasture. A good shepherd feeds, provides nourishment for his sheep. We see this again in Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. At the end of that Psalm, we often forget this. It says, he prepares a what before me? a table before me in the presence of my enemy. And is it like a meager table? He says, no, my cup overflows. When we are walking with Jesus, we have more than enough to eat. Uh, A couple other verses I want us to see. Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah 50, we see God here caring for his sheep. Jeremiah 50 verse 19 Nope, looking at the wrong page. Jeremiah 50, 19. God says about his people, I will restore Israel to his pasture and he shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan and his desire shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. And one more Psalm that so well draws this out. Psalm 81, verse 10. Psalm 81, verse 10. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Man, I love that one. That sounds nice. Do you notice those images of joy, 
of satisfaction, of being stuffed in your soul? What is it to walk with Jesus, but to be satisfied in your soul? There will never not be enough for your soul when you are walking with Jesus. Listen, that doesn't mean your life's gonna be easy. It doesn't mean you may not go through a valley of the shadow of death, but it does mean there will be enough for your soul. He will care well for the desires of your soul. I think this is also profound. At the end of John 10, or John, the, the gospel of John, we know that Peter has denied Jesus. He has failed Jesus. And then we see Jesus come after he's risen from the dead and he's there on the beach and they're in the boat and, and he's making breakfast and they come and they're sitting there eating with Jesus and, and they're, I'm sure, just losing their minds. And then we see this conversation Jesus has just with Peter, with this soon-to-be under-shepherd, this, this man who has failed Jesus. And in John 21, 15 to 17, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want to be practical for a moment. The, of all the things Jesus could have said to restore Peter, of all the things, all the responsibilities, all the last words Jesus would have for this soon-to-be shepherd of the early church. What was that command he gave to him? What was the priority? What did he emphasize? I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed them. Because the primary task of a shepherd, the primary duty of an under-shepherd is to feed the sheep of Jesus, his word, to feed them, to nourish them, to lead them to green pastures, not to feed them your word, not to feed them your wisdom, not to feed them your opinions, but to feed them with the word of God, to feed his flock. You know, this is, Travis brought this up last week. There's a, an undercurrent in John 10, and we see the opposite of John 10 in Ezekiel 34 as God calls out bad shepherds. Jesus here is the good shepherd. And we see in Ezekiel 34 a picture of bad shepherds. And, and probably the chief indictment against bad shepherds is their lack of feeding the flock. Ezekiel 34, I'll just read a few verses. Verse two, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. 
and then jump down to verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. You see, something that's interesting about sheep is they're easily taken advantage of. They're not good at defending themselves. They're going to eat what's before them. And so it requires a good shepherd to lead to green pastures, to to feed them on the very word of God. What do you prioritize in your discipling, mentoring relationships? Parents, what is the main diet you are giving your kids spiritually? What is the main diet you're giving yourself spiritually? Where are you looking for food? Where are we together as a church going for food? One last text, Jude chapter, well, there's no chapters in Jude, Jude 11 or Jude 12. It says, it says of shepherds not feeding their flock. It says, these are hidden reefs, meaning like a a reef in the water that your boat's about to crash into. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. We are to expect shepherds to feed their flocks. And we as shepherds are to prioritize feeding the flock. And we know that we have a good shepherd who has provided a feast for us in his word. And so we know shepherds, they, they speak to their sheep. They lead them personally. They feed them. The fourth quality we see here is, and this is a simple one that I just want us to not miss, is this, Jesus is a good shepherd. I want us to to camp for a moment on that word. He is a good shepherd. Jesus is not just a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. In fact, he is the good shepherd. There is no other shepherd like him. Uh, in, in the New Testament Greek, there are two words for good. There's agathos, which means morally good, like, like you're, doing a, you're doing a right thing. And then there's kalos, which means beautiful or excellent or worthy to behold. It's, it's more of this, like, that is, that's good. That's amazing. The word in this text is kalos, that Jesus as a shepherd is beautiful to behold. He is excellent. He is worthy of our attention. And the point Jesus is making is there is not a better shepherd out there. You will not find a better shepherd. You will not find a better book. You will not find better wisdom, better truth. You will not find a better shepherd than Jesus. And isn't it the lie of the enemy and our own flesh that we are often tempted to think, Jesus may be righteous and, 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 and true and the, the only way, but isn't it our temptation to think, but, he, but is he good? Is he really good? Is, is, is it worth it? What if there's more beauty somewhere else? What if there's more joy somewhere else? What if there's more satisfaction in another pasture? What if there's a better leader I should look to? And yet we see here Jesus saying, no, unlike Ezekiel 34, unlike all through the Bible where we see imperfect shepherds, Jesus is saying, I 
am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. We don't need to fear when we draw near to Jesus, when we open the Bible, when we wonder about should we really obey him, we don't need to fear that it's not going to be good, that it's not right. There is no one else like him. I want us to see in 1 Peter 2.25, Peter himself speaking of Jesus as the good shepherd. 1 Peter 2.25 He says, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In Revelation 7, 17, one more picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. And I love the double metaphor here. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We can rest assured when we follow Jesus that we one day will be with him and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no lack. There there will be no suffering or mourning. He is leading us home. He is leading us to a place where there is nothing but good. And here's a, an important balance to that last point of what is expected of shepherds. Let us remember there is only one good shepherd. There's only been one good pastor, one perfect pastor. There's only been one righteous leader. And so there's a high expectation for us all as followers of Jesus to lead well and to feed well and to care well those entrusted to us. But we will never find another person like Jesus. Every other person falls short. For our own hearts and when we're setting expectations for what is a shepherd, who should I look to as shepherds? Listen, only look to Jesus to satisfy your soul, to never disappoint you or leave you or forsake you. And and this ties in very closely to the next point because how did Jesus display his goodness most clearly? What's the cheat? What is like the, if there is one way you could know Jesus was good, there's one way you could see demonstrated that's a good shepherd. Well, that leads us to our next point, point number five. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. That's how you know he's good. Let's read again verse 11 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you are ever tempted to think he is not good, if that thought ever crosses your mind, if you're ever tempted to follow another shepherd or to look to another for food or satisfaction, remember that no other shepherd has laid his life down for you. No other shepherd has laid his life down for his sheep in the way that Jesus did. Because again, we, there may be good shepherds out there who, who sacrifice themselves 
But no one laid their life down for all his sheep and not just physically, but spiritually. Now again, like, like why did Jesus lay his life down? Why did he have to lay his life down? There's a couple things we need to notice. First, there are external enemies. As we, we're gonna see in this text, there are wolves. There are bad shepherds. There's death and disease. We saw Jesus fight off our external enemies. We also see, why does Jesus lay his life down? Well, John 15, 13, this is a, a well-known verse as well. John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Why did Jesus lay his life down? Well, because he loves us. He loves us. But, but why? But why did his love require his laying his life down? And this is where we need that important passage in Isaiah 53 that, that we read at the end of worship. This is why Jesus needed to lay his life down. This is why he displayed his love in this way. Isaiah 53 verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. It's not just that Jesus is, he's good out there. It's that I have wandered away from him. I have gone my own way. We have all wandered like sheep. We have walked away from our good shepherd. We have rebelled against him. We have sinned against God. And so in a ultimate display of goodness and love and protection, Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. He didn't just defend us from some external enemy. He defended us from our own sin before a holy God. He loved sheep that knew him, walked away from him, wanted nothing to do with him. And at our worst moment of rebellion, as humanity put him on the cross, he was laying his life down for wandering sheep. Jesus, as the good shepherd, lays down his life as this act of, of a substitutionary sacrifice. We see in the Old Testament time and time again, these images of sacrificing lambs. We see the day of atonement when all the sins of the nation were put on this goat. We see when Jesus lays down his life, he is fulfilling this biblical concept of shedding ones, shedding blood. And he was offering himself as the ultimate sacrifice. He laid himself down. He gave his own life as a substitutionary sacrifice. Man, we are, we are those lambs who deserve to be slain for sin. And yet he was the perfect lamb who said, I will lay my own life down for those straying, wandering sheep. And so we, we first and foremost need to receive that grace. Thank you, Jesus, that though I wandered, Like Peter, I denied you. Yet those three times as you restored Peter, you've restored me. You love me, Jesus. You laid your life down for me. And I love as Jesus restores Peter those three times, what he is demonstrating is even for a man like Peter. Maybe you're tempted to think, who am I to disciple anybody? My goodness, I have strayed. (laughs) Well, don't we love Peter? who personally 
denied Jesus in his most vulnerable moment three times. And Jesus restores even a man like Peter and, and appoints him as an under shepherd to go speak of that grace, to go point others back to Jesus. If there is grace for wandering sheep and if there is grace for even imperfect shepherds like Peter, surely there's grace for you and me. And surely he could even use you and me to tell others of what he has done, that he has laid down his life for wandering sheep. And he even uses us to point others and bring others back to himself. And so we've seen he speaks to his sheep. He personally leads his sheep. He feeds his sheep. He's a good shepherd and he lays down his life for the sheep. And the last point we're gonna see together this morning is this. As a good shepherd, he owns the sheep. They belong to him. Look at verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep. That's a key word phrase there. Who does not own the sheep. You know, we were all created by Jesus. And so in a real sense, we are his. He made us. But for those who have heard his voice, and now follow him, we are twice owned because we were purchased by his own blood. What did he accomplish in laying down his life for the sheep, but purchase them? These are mine. I was reading a a book. um, It's a well-known little book on Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. And it's this, it's uh, this man, he was a shepherd and he, he draws out all these practical implications of what shepherds did and how it gives insight into uh, uh, Jesus as the good shepherd. And he talked about the first uh, little flock he bought. I think it was like 30 sheep. And he said that, you know, for, he had his whole life savings and he literally gave everything he had that he had personally worked for hours, blood, sweat, and tears in his savings account. He, what truly represented a sacrifice of his own body so that he could purchase these sheep that now belong to him. And it created this ownership. Like if something happened to one of those sheep, that represented like, a whole day at Starbucks. He's like, I'm not letting that, I need to care for that sheep. I bought that sheep. That sheep is mine. That's my own blood, sweat, and tears in that sheep. And because Jesus laid down his life, he literally shed his blood and poured, or poured out his blood for his sheep. Now they are, they are like really his. Not only did he make them, he purchased them. He purchased you if you have trusted in him. He has given his very body for you. They belong to you. And as a sheep is often branded or marked in a certain way, so Jesus marks or seals, the New Testament says, his sheep with his Holy Spirit. They are marked off as his sheep. I want us to, to notice one more thing out of 1 Peter chapter 2. As we see what Jesus, what, what Peter says to us, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, hear this, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We'll let this train do its thing. I'll continue until then. We have been purchased by the very blood of Jesus. We are his possession. And Peter says, so be holy. You're his. You belong to him. There's real dignity there as you belong to him. And he says, proclaim the excellencies of him. And then he says, don't go and live in darkness anymore. You were called out of darkness. You belong to this flock now. And there's, there's one more implication that I want to draw out for us who may be under shepherds, who are caring for others. Because it is true only Jesus can save. And it is true that we are imperfect shepherds. But, but I just want us to notice this. So often we can neglect our duties because we would think, well, you know, Jesus will handle it. He'll care about it. He'll care for them. He'll figure it out. And, and I want us to think about this. When we're discipling somebody, when we're parenting someone, when we're sitting across the table from somebody, who do they belong to? They belong to Jesus. That doesn't get us off the hook. My goodness, that gets us like on the hook. This person belongs to Jesus. I don't know what's happening here. It's... I think he's coming in, so I, I think we're okay. I don't know. Maybe not. I think he's moving on. Just kidding. Just we'll take a drink. I'm going to draw out this last point this way. How many of you, when you hopped into your car or you hopped on your bike to get to church today, were really stressed out that you were going to beat up your car or beat up your bike? I'm going to say you probably probably didn't think twice about it. But what if this morning Jesus showed up and said, hey, here's my car. Why don't you go to church in it? Have you ever driven someone's nicer car? It is stressful. You, you were like, I have to drive so perfectly. And that's the point. When we are trying to shepherd someone else, we need to be able to see them as belonging to Jesus. Church, I even say this humbly right now. You are Jesus's church. You are his blood-bought bride. This is no small thing. You don't belong to me. But because you belong to him, how much more do I just want to be faithful, to be a faithful under shepherd, to feed you only what Jesus says to feed you, to lead you only how Jesus says to lead you. I'm going to close with, uh, this is an encouragement Paul gave to pastors in Ephesians, in Ephesus, on his way out. And I want to read this text and give you, church, permission to hold me to this as you belong to Jesus. This is what Paul says to the elders in Ephesus, Acts 20, 28. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years, I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Church, you belong to Jesus. You are the church of God. Before you're a reality carp, before you're an American Christian, before you're a 21st century Christian, before whatever label you like to put before your Christianity, you're the church of God. You were purchased by the blood and body of Jesus. You are precious to him. And together, would we be faithful under shepherds, prioritizing the very things Jesus, the good shepherd says, this is what a shepherd does for his flock. Amen. Jesus, we thank you that you are our chief shepherd. There is no one else like you. No other blood was able to purchase what you have purchased, your own church, your own bride. And Jesus, we thank you that you are our faithful leader, that you speak to us, that you feed us, that you've laid your life down for us, that you own us. We are yours. We know that we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to you, Jesus. So all the more would we seek to be faithful and holy and following you and leading others nowhere else but to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, even now as we come to worship you and then take communion together, we just together humble ourselves and draw near to you. We say we need you. We are a flock of sheep. We need restoring and refreshing We draw near to you, to sing to you, to as even what we're going to do in the next 10 or so minutes as a representation of offering our, our very selves as living sacrifices back to you, that we belong to you. And so we're here to worship you and trust you.